Greetings, fellow wanderers in the fourth dimension. You join us again for part two of our countdown of Den of Geeks' 50 most controversial moments in Doctor Who. Uh, this episode, we'll be discussing uh, numbers 25 through to one. So if you haven't heard 50 through 26, head on back to part one and we'll see you back here for part two. Everyone else, please join us for uh, the concluding part. Okay, so starting off with number 25, Cancellation. After season 22 came a period known as the hiatus. With the BBC needing to save money, the show's 23rd series was postponed. Even the BBC News reported the news is taking everyone by surprise. Then head of drama Jonathan Powell states outright on the trial of the Time Lord Extras that we did try to cancel it. Cancelling it may have been kinder in some respects. Certainly the impression you get of the BBC's attitude to the show for the rest of the decade was that of a disinterested cat occasionally remembering it as a mouse it can torture. Yeah. You know, there there are periods where, and we're going to come on to the come on to the big one, where you think, why is it back? Mm-hmm. Just you know, stop it! It's already dead. <laughs> um, yeah, but the way that the cancellation and uh, the cancellation crisis, as it is also known, mm-hmm. was handled so badly. Mm-hmm. You know that they ended up paying t- Colin Baker for a season that never was, yeah. and you know stuff like that. It was just it was handled so crappily, and then postponing it and then you get terrible things like that charity record um to try and bring oh if you want a really unpleasant five minutes look up that song hilariously titled who cares it makes i want to spend christmas with a dog look like freaking thriller <laughs> with lyrics such as oh, 18 months is too long to wait bring oh. back the doctor don't hesitate oh. cough <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh. I remember I heard it and Chuck played it to me in the car as we were driving around somewhere and I was like what? and you still married him I still married him there you go. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that would be grounds for kicking notes. him out of the car while it's still moving no, well, I mean, it was de- it was like a, on a tape of deliberately bad things that oh. uh, our mate made for us. Oh, great. It's got Sue Pollard's cover of the Beatles back in the USSR on it as well, <laughs> that tape. I don't know where it is. Possibly in a vault somewhere. <laughs> uh, actually, back in Pandora's box where it belongs. <laughs> okay, so on to number 24. We're, again, linking into what we were just talking about. <laughs> the Trial of a Time Lord. <sighs> Having cancelled the original partly developed season 23... The BBC were unable or unwilling to find a new producer to take over the show. So the same production team who had been deemed not good enough were told to make a mere 14, 25-minute episodes for a relaunch. That was essentially all the instruction they received. The return of the show was compromised, essentially ignored by the BBC management and not given any time, money or direction to make it work. Under considerable pressure, the fallout from Trial of the Time Law resulting in a parting of the ways. Robert Holmes passed away, Eric Sayward left, scripts were written with lawyers involved and there was no word from the BBC on the show's future. Um, as I've said before, if you want like the waltz and all look at the events surrounding Trial of the Time Lord... Um, even if you don't watch the episodes, mm. pick up the box set because it makes it worth it. And I've talked about this on several occasions that, you know, the fact that the original production team that caused the cancellation mm-hmm. are making the show again, it just seems ridiculous. You know, and like we were saying, you just wish they cancelled it at that point. Just put it out of its misery because it's not working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's. 
it's like trying to keep the body going after the brain's already dead. It's like, it, it, it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, if they had cancelled it, well, I wouldn't have had my favourite Doctor's Will Estimate Coy, but, you know, it's like you, you kind of watch it and you just think, why? Why did you do yeah. it? Yeah, absolutely. So I can't, but, you know, like I say, if you don't even watch the, the episodes, I can't recommend the documentary on that DVD mm. enough. It's very good. Yeah. And it does not shy away from all the problems that are happening back, backstage. Yeah. But, you know, there, there was one good thing to come out of uh, Trial of Time, that opening shot from uh, Mysterious Planet episode that's one. That's literally the best thing in yeah. it. It happened in the first 30 seconds. that's probably seconds. where the budget went. I think yeah, that's the entire season did. budget right there. But yeah, absolutely it did. Yeah. But that was that was a really nice model shot though. Yeah, it is a very good model shot, yeah. But doesn't save it though. So number twenty-three. Surprise kids show. Okay, thanks, bye. The BBC decided late in the day to make another series under the stipulation that Colin Baker be removed from the role and the show concentrated on being light and fun. So with no stories, no script editor and no doctor and indeed to saying be frothy, season 24 went into production with less than nine months still broadcast. Its lack of preparation time exacerbated the problems with the thinly written com role of companion Mel, played by Bonnie Langford, and resulted in a unique mix of CBBC romp and 2000 AD strip. That kind of sum up season 24 to be honest. Yeah, it, it really, actually, is really nice nutshell of the situation going in season 24. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it you know somehow they made episodes which are, you know, interesting and fun. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, just, again, you, it's kind of one of the things if you wish it had just been cancelled mm -hmm. because it, they just had nothing to go on. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't know, though. I mean, there's some, there like, there some good, enjoyable bits. I mean, I really like the character of Pex from uh, Paradise Towers just because he's mm -hmm. so bloody useless and ridiculous you know and he says he says to Mel are these two old ladies bothering you she goes no and then he sort of pauses and thinks and he goes are you bothering these old ladies <laughs> yeah it's I mean know. you know there's enjoyable stuff in it and mm -hmm. when you sort of look at it through the lens of what was going on yeah. you know it was remarkable it, any of it made the TV at all mm -hmm. so Ooh, number 22 armpit gate on the set of Dragonfire, Sophie Aldred hadn't shaved her armpits and there was a slight fuss. <laughs> um, okay. Okay, yeah. Um, quite a bit surprised it's so high up on the list because who cares? So let's move on, really. There's not really much more to say about that. Number 21. This looks good. Can't have that. Remembrance of the Daleks looks great. The soundtrack, although one of Kev McCulloch's better ones, dated, but it's largely a solid production. It did, however, go over budget. The BBC's response to this, rather than note how well received the show was and how much more impressive it looked, said that uh, director Andrew Morgan was to never work on the show again. Cat, mouse, torture. Absolutely. Oh, Jesus. I love Remembrance of the Daleks. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of those things that season 26 was really starting to upswing mm. and it was starting to build that momentum again and people mm -hmm. were starting to get interested in the show again. And mm -hmm. all the BBC would do was send notes down like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just sort of... You know, again, with how many times we've said it, like within the last five, ten minutes, like why didn't they just end it, rather than bring it back and then just go, ah, oh, you know, let's just let's just keep you know sabotaging it and you know whittling it away by piece by piece. You know, I mean, yeah, it just, I mean, it's such a shame because Remembrance of the Daleks is probably, oh, definitely. If it's not, I mean, the, my two favourite Sylvester McCoy stories are Remembrance of the Daleks and Ghostlight, and they're, like, interchangeable depending on what mood I'm in. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's just so freaking irritating. This is the point where I sort of get irritated with the BBC, 
Yeah, absolutely. Because it's like, you know, you've got a good thing going here. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Well, say, I mean, no one one was actually quality controlling it, you know? Mm. It was like they just sort of let it go on as its own concern and they just saw bits of paper about money and, Mm -hmm. you know, bits of paper with viewing figures on, you know? And no, I say no one cared about it, you Mm -hmm. know? And all it existed to be was just a, a schedule plugger that's always been there. Yeah. At that point. Okay, so number 20, let's just not tell anyone it's cancelled. After the Ferrari, which erupted in 1986, the BBC strategy for cancelling the show in 1989 was slightly more underhand. Don't say anything unless asked. Then say it wasn't technically cancelled, it just wasn't on at the moment. Normal service would be resumed as soon as the BBC worked out what to do with it. Amazingly, 16 years later, it turned out the answer was give it some welly, some love and a bigger budget. Gosh, who would have thought? (sighs) Yeah, um... One of the shittiest decisions of all time by the mm. BBC was to not even give people the satisfaction of like a conclusion or, yeah. um, you know, any sort of payoff. It's just, oh no, it's just not on it, ain't it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. They, you look at the end of Survival and you do sort of get a hint that it's going away, but it might be back soon. But then it just sort of like, well, you just never really sort of got around to it. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's kind of the vibe I got off it. It's like, yeah, we'll probably bring it back at some point and then sort of like get distracted by a bee or something. And then 16 years later, it's like, oh, yeah, all right. And it's just so, I mean, we've said it before, it was put up against Coronation Street for fuck's sake, you know? It was absolutely the death knell of of the show. Yeah, just that that was it. That was like the, the killing blow really and it's just it, it was sort of a bit like you know I, I did this to my brother of getting their hand and slapping him in the forehead and say why are you hitting yourself why are you mm-hmm. hitting yourself yeah. it's almost that it, it's that level of treatment of the show mm-hmm. yeah so anyway number 19 the new doctor in the interim doctor who magazine pounced on any related news at all like a hungry hungry hippo with low self-esteem this is perhaps how the strange activities of mr david burton were deemed worthy of print Two unseen pilots had apparently been made that featured Burton as the eighth Doctor, who later confirmed to the magazine that he had filmed a pilot called Doctor Who and the Monsters of Ness with 70s director Paul Bernard. None of these things are verifiable and most likely non-tested, even if Burton did have a car with new Doctor Who and not on the side. Oh, go away, David Burton. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who this man is. Um, well, basically, all the news that all the information that's in that paragraph is basically it, really. Oh. Um, there's not really much more to it. Um, yeah, oh. it, it's just many of the guff tastic things that Doctor Who magazine put out in desperation during the interim into Who years. Hmm. Speaking of which, <laughs> number 18, The Dark Dimension. Some Cyberman concept art and a plot synopsis is all we ever got of The Dark Dimension, focusing on the fourth Doctor, to the annoyance of the others, in an alternative timeline with new takes on old monsters, including a Wolverine-influenced take on the Cybermen. BBC Enterprises were making a straight-to-video special that snowballed into big enough project for other departments to notice. The death knell came when Philip Siegel arranged a deal to make new Doctor Who episodes and the conflict of interest killed the project. Um, the whole saga of the Dark Dimension is like a two-hour podcast on its own. <laughs> it's unbelievably complicated and rights issues and oh my goodness i mean you know i when i read about this in a book i mean it was pages and pages and pages of stuff mm-hmm. and i implore people that if you're interested in this i mean and it's a fascinating saga to go out and have a read of it because it's really interesting mm-hmm. and there's some things in there which you think thank 
fuck that did not end up on telly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at the picture they've got here uh, on Den of Geek um, with the Cyberman concept art. And, I mean, yeah, it looks pretty freaky. But I just sort of like think, would they have gotten away with like, the budget? <laughs> no, absolutely not. But, you know, when they were talking about the dark dimension, glad they didn't use that concept art because it's awfully bulgy. Mm-hmm. Just a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Number 17, The New Adventures. In hindsight, Tortwood shouldn't have been such a surprise. The previous time that Doctor Who had tried to go all dark and sexy and edgy, why do people say edgy anyway? Everything has an edge or else it would be infinite. It was The New Adventures book range. While there were some brilliant stories in there, it was felt like the a tick life writers had to complete. Needless violence, the Doctor being incredibly manipulative, Ace having sex and some jarring swear words. It was a bit of a shock to the system compared to with someone saying toss in survival. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, is it's again, it's this sort of thing of like, well, we've got the license and so we can do whatever we want. Mm. And it was being written by people who were fans of the show and they were doing things that they wanted to see. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but like you say, the, it's kind of one of those things of there's some good stuff and there's some crap stuff. It's mm-hmm. kind of, it's a double-edged sword, really. Yeah. I mean, I've never read any of the new adventures, but I did like read the synopsis of, I think it was the, the very first novel, the first part of the Time Room uh, storyline. And um, I think, was it was it in ancient Egypt or Mesopotamia or somewhere? Yeah, but, something like that, yeah. Um, when you had like all the child prostitutes and that, and then yeah. the first scene on board the TARDIS is Ace looking at herself naked in the mirror, and it's just, you know, I've said it before with torture, it's like, really? Yeah, it's, it's just, it's too juvenile. Much. Yeah, it's, it's juvenile. juvenile. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, number 16, the TVM. Where do we start? First, they were going to, we thought they were going to be spider Daleks, and there weren't spider Daleks. That would be nonsensical. Spider Daleks, sure, <laughs> but not spider Daleks. Then we discovered that the doctor was going to kiss a lady. Worse, he was going to be half human. Both of these things were terrible, but we were really lucky. We were lucky. Anyone who has read the synopsis of the leaky Bible knows that a full series would have been would have been a full on reboot with an origin story to make the writers of the next generation go, What, really? In hindsight we got off lightly. Yeah, if you want to read the leaky Bible, holy <laughs> shit. What a document of clusterfuckery that mm. thing is. Whoa. Yeah, when they say a full on reboot, they're not lying. They're yeah. basically recycling old William Hartnell stories. stories. Yeah, I mean there's like the web planet, the gunfighters, you know, it's, it's, it's like, I think the only sort of interesting, different thing they were doing that I kind of would have been all right with was making the Cybermen scavengers. Yeah. And even then they called them the fucking Cybes. I mean, what? what oh, what? absolutely what? awful. Jesus. Yeah. But, oh, and there's always thing about one of something called Ulysses and going off to find this guy. Oh my oh, God. Oh, it was the doctor's father, wasn't he? Nightmare. Because the doctor's um, dad, wasn't he, this Ulysses bloke? Yeah, that's right. It, mm. Oh, it's an absolute Christ. nightmare. Um, so, yeah, have a have a look up at that if you want a, <laughs> a shocking afternoon's read. Mm. Um, but, yeah, we're going to talk about the TV movie on its own. So, yeah. yeah, we've got a lot to say about the TV movie. So let's, uh, let's go on to the next one. Yeah, number 15, BBC takes over the book range from Virgin. The BBC, disinterested as it was in the show in 1990, suddenly noticed that the Virgin Books had a decent market for Italian fiction and were doing really rather well. So with a large group of writers, audience and continuity already established, the BBC took back the book range from Virgin and did them themselves without having to do any of the legwork. 
This was further exacerbated by a new range that, whilst having largely better covers, didn't really know what it was trying to do for a while. Unfortunately, one of the latter virgin authors had a few ideas that would shake things up a tad. Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, I remember there was this whole thing that Virgin put out about called License Revoked hmm. after it happened. And yeah, I mean, it was controversial, but unfortunately, it's the BBC's property and they can take it back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's their ball and they can do what they want with it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a shitty move, but you understand why it happened. And it's not like all these Virgin books were gathered up and tossed into a fire. You can mm. still read them. Yeah. And um, I think that there's a lot of good BBC books and bad ones. You know, mm. these things exist together. Yeah. Um, especially, I mean, I've talked about it before, that the Eighth Doctor novels, the EDAs, mm. um, they got really bogged down in their own continuity, mm. um, like to the point that you'd have to really read a bunch of books before you could read the next one. Yeah. Sorry, um, the police but... coming for me. So, oh yeah, I can hear. I thought I just assumed that was here because I live in London. It's, oh, it's no, all the time. no, that's, that's me. So I've got the window open. <laughs> so Chuck's watching Lethal Weapon downstairs. It might well be them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so speaking of books, uh, number fourteen, Lawrence Miles happens. Red alien bodies. Do it now. I will wait. Good, wasn't it? You might have noticed that quite a lot of the ideas in it have cropped up in some form in televised Doctor Who post 2005. So many, in fact, that I don't have space to list them here. It not only hugely informed the TV series, but it was so staggeringly confident compared to much of the book range that it informed much of that too. However, not everyone was on the same page and authors started taking things in different directions until eventually all bridges involved were burned, spat on and burned again and finally scatologically desecrated in a vitriolic interview which once proved once and for all, while Miles is undoubtedly brilliant with language, he is perhaps not the best at networking. And that's before we get into his blog about the new series. Yeah, I've met Lawrence in real life and um, yeah, to say he's not the best at networking... Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I have to be honest, I've never read Alien Bodies, so um, I don't know how much I can throw into this one. I mean, have you have you read it? Yeah, I've I've read I've read it, and um, yeah, is like say I mean to be honest though, you although the author of this um, article pinpoints Alien Bodies Mm -hmm. post two thousand five Doctor Who takes its influences from a lot of places. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the novel range big finish audios so although you know you can use that as a starting point and it sort of kicked off a lot of other things you know gotta remember russell t wrote for this series mark gattis wrote for this series mm-hmm. of books so you can't really attribute all of it to lawrence miles mm-hmm. um so but yeah the but like i say i mean again it's sort of you know if you're interested in the whole interperson interpersonality thing that was going on I mean, you can find that stuff out if you're interested in it. But, um, yeah, I would say that if you're a Doctor Who fan and you're sort of coming into it and you're curious about these sort of things, these books are definitely a read, worth a read. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see how the development of to post-2005 Doctor Who and its attitude is sort of started to be laying down in these book series. Is, is... Mm. So moving on, number 13, The Sharker Doctor. A new Doctor, a new era for the show, a new... Oh, never mind, it's been cancelled. The internet-based adventures of Richard D. Grant's numberless Doctor have been consigned to the realms of the non-canonical. Let me out, cries in necrophobia. I might only be an eighth Doctor adventure, but I'm vastly more entertaining than Megalos, and I'm shortly before the TV show's comeback. At the time, the idea of the Master being an android and Richard D. Grant's performance as the cold, vampiric Doctor were not ideas that the fandom welcomed. The recent DVD release has has at least given people a new perspective on the story, possibly helped by the fact that it doesn't stop to buffer every 30 seconds. 
wow, 30 seconds. I think mine would refuse to start. Then you'd get three seconds and then it'd stop again and then buffer a bit. And yeah, I mean, because this was back on BBC I, back mm. before there was anything like, uh, you know, iPlayer and we were all on dial up. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was quite a trial to watch Scream of Schalke. Um, but yeah, it's kind of the thing of it would have been an interest. It's, a, it's an interesting curio, Scream of the mm. Schalke. And it would have maybe been interesting if it had gone to like a, a long, a longer sort of cartoon series. I mean, it was kind of the dumb thing. You'd have films and stuff like Robocop and Terminator and all these sort of things that would become cartoons. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, remember when I was growing up, my brother had Robocop and Terminator action figures, even though he was 10 years too young to watch a film. Yeah. You know, it's um, it's one of these things that might have kicked off it the doctor into another direction but mm -hmm. unfortunately we're never gonna know yeah i mean i i got the scream of the shark for christmas on dvd mm. and i tried watching it but i managed i only managed to get through two episodes and i was just i don't know i just i think i'm i'm i don't know why it's because i'm just so used to doctor who being live action and i'm sort of like okay with like the reanimated episodes you know what i mean mm um but i don't know something just sort of didn't really i think ultimately because i knew that in the grand scheme of things it didn't really nothing became of it do you know what i mean so it was like yeah. it was easy to sort of just like write it off because i mean i probably would have a different perspective on it had this been the zeitgeist nowadays like yeah you know we've got a cartoon doctor voiced by peter capaldi or whatever Mm. you know um but as it stands i just i don't know i couldn't i'll probably give it another shot but i think do you know what i was saying um a, a few episodes ago about trying to watch things in one go yeah i tried watching scream of the shark in episode each episode like a day and i don't know i think i should have maybe just blitzed it in one go because it's like it's only like what 12 minutes per episode yeah. so it's like I don't know. It's like when you have. I, say, to... I, I think as well with Schalke in that you you expect it to be snappier, mm. but it meanders around quite a lot. Yeah, and I think you sort of expect it to be like two thousand and five Doctor Who, mm -hmm. but it's really not. It's like old Doctor Who but animated. Yeah. So it's it's kind of it's really weird. Yeah, and I think like sort of, you know, it was animated by Cosgrove Hall, but this was like in the days where they were just using like Flash and stuff and like com like computer rendered um animation and it's just sort of i don't know it just doesn't it's not as sort of iconic looking as some like they're all stuff like all the hand animated stuff like you know like, um, count duckula and what have you i mean yeah that's what they used for like the invasion and that's okay because it's just like one or two episodes and then that's they go back to the live action mm. you know what i mean so i don't know i think yeah. it's just i think it was just a bit too jarring for me for me to properly you know yeah, absolutely. Number 12, Strangled at Rebirth. The BBC has given us a great many things, but like Doctor Who, it is not a coherent entity in terms of vision or personnel. It is also so large and flailing that it resembles nothing less than Cthulhu failing to unhook one of the Elder Gods' bras while both of them are suffering from tapeworms. Perhaps it's not a surprise that the show's relaunch in 2005 took the perseverance and enthusiasm of a select few to convince a wary organisation that it was in any way a good idea and it, uh, that it occasionally took a selective approach to the truth to keep the show alive. For details, see Doctor Who magazine number 463. Yeah, um, I feel, I've often said this, I feel like in 15 years, once everyone tell, once everyone's tell all books come out mm -hmm. we'll actually know what what the what the situation was yeah in getting the show back on air 
because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of stuff that's going to come out that we don't know about yet. Yeah, I, I, I sort of get the sense that it was a little bit of a clusterfuck, but they managed to pull through this time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It could so easily have just been stopped, mm-hmm. like before it even started. Mm-hmm. Number eleven, Billy Piper, Billy Piper, Billy Piper as a, as companion. Not on my watch. The only Billy Piper I'll accept in Doctor Who is the first Doctor smoking equipment of choice, and no other. A pop star in a serious acting role made famous by characters such as Dodo and Melanie Bush. Nonsense. And she's beautiful, but she'll never love me. This is awful. What does Hunter to the Bee even mean? <laughs> um, yeah, for our, yeah. I think we've said our piece on Billy Piper already, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was literally just about to say, for further information about Billy <laughs> Piper and the greatest show in the galaxy's views on Billy Piper, please see the beginning of uh, the episode where we talk about Series 1, because um, we talk talk about it quite extensively. I never really will love me. No. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Yeah. So, but never mind. There's always number 10, the gay agenda. Gays, gays, gays in Doctor Who, not on my watch. The only gayness I accept in Doctor Who is a variety of a well-timed Dudley Simpsons lay motif and no other. The supposed gay agenda, i.e. hey gay people exist, let's mention that, is a superb example of blustering melodrama masquerading as moral depravity. How dare Doctor Who be a platform for any sort of equality? Um, Considering the amount of gay people who like Doctor Who, Mm -hmm. um... Yeah, this really blew up in a big way on the old for in the old forums and mm. stuff. Yeah, just a lot of people, narrow-minded little fucking <laughs> bricks, you know, <laughs> whinging about something that wasn't even a thing. Mm. Yep. <laughs> um, number nine, <laughs> smug. The 2006 series of Doctor Who saw Rose and the Doctor grow even closer after his regeneration, only to be heartbreakingly parted forever <clears throat> at the series' end. However, prior to this, their behaviour had rubbed some viewers up the wrong way, until the word smug became a byword for their relationship. While perhaps it went a bit far at times, listen to Queen Victoria, you two, she's the point, it was also something that was clearly setting them up for a fall, and lo, it happened. If you go into the 10th Doctor area thinking he's supposed to be hugely flawed, it really makes it much more satisfying. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. Actually, it's mm-hmm. um, that was a word I was hearing thrown around a lot when this when he was on with Billy Piper. They were entirely too self satisfied. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that you either feel you feel that way or you don't. And I think you know we're going to talk about series two in quite a lot of detail. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think we're going to come back to this a lot. But yeah, I think when you look at the 10th Doctor's era as a whole mm-hmm. and it's beginning and where he ends up, it's it's basically one big story mm-hmm. that he's, his hubris sets him up for his fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, next, deus ex machina. What is a deus ex machina? Roughly speaking, it's when an unprecedented ability or event is used as a resolution. Russell T. Davis is so often accused of using that on forums. Every mention of the phrase means the impending arrival of someone pointing out that he doesn't actually use them in any of his series finales. They're all hinted at, suggested and implied beforehand in at least some small way. That's not to say they're above criticism, just that you might want to get your facts right before doing so. Um, yeah, we talk. I mean, the picture they've got on the website here is um, the Time Goddess version of uh, Bill's Piper at mm-hmm. the end of uh, Series One. Yeah, uh, yeah, which I think I called her the Deus Ex Machina Goddess at the yeah. in our episode on that. 
um, yeah, it's you know you you sort of go with it or you don't. I think really mm. his uh, his uh, series finale. So I think it comes down to your choice. Yeah, I think the only sort of maybe Deus Ex Machina thing that he did was more in series three with um, the Doctor having spent like the year of the Master's reign tuning himself into the psychic frequencies of the Archangel Network and having Martha going around telling stories about the Doctor to all the people of the planet so they can all think about him at the same time and then use that energy to regenerate himself and restore his youthful appearance and then be all floaty crystal Jesus and <laughs> you know I think that's that's the only that's probably of any of Russell T. Davis's series finales that's sort of the one where I sort of go, really, really, like, couldn't have just, I don't know, maybe done something so, you know, the master was tricked into de-aging the doctor or, you know? Yeah, and um, Floaty Crystal Jesus is the name of my new shoegaze band, uh, <laughs> just to let you know. Oh, sorry, I, I forgot to mention that was a band when I was at university, so I don't know. Oh, okay, then. <laughs> sorry. Oh, my dreams of conquest. <laughs> Number seven, The Doctor's Reward. Now I love the ninth Doctor's regeneration. It's wonderful that the incarnation who spent so much of his time masking his emotions gets one final burst of joy before he goes. Inversely, the cocksure and charismatic tenth Doctor gets to glare meaningfully at his old friends from a distance before regenerating in tears by himself. Reactions range from the extremely tearful to the extremely enraged. It's my girlfriend's dad saying, oh god, there's still 15 minutes to go. Yeah. <laughs> the tenth Doctor's regeneration, funeral, mm. march. Yeah. I mean, we've we talked about this a bit in um, our Day of the Doctor uh, review, I believe. Mm. Yeah, and we'll probably uh, get to that when we come to the the specials. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, yeah. 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 Just stop that, David. Number 10, just stop it. <laughs> okay. The New Paradigm. Teletubby Daleks, Skittle Daleks, Eye Daleks, the United Daleks of Benetton. The list of derogatory names for the new design went on long into the night. In hindsight, they're all right when they're filmed from the front. It's their weird Igor Hump smart car boot that looks wrong on them. And when they've been used since, they've been largely filmed to hide this. Perhaps coupled with the anticlimactic victory of the Daleks and the internet's role in allowing gut reactions unbidden into its pages, the fuss got a little bit out of hand. No kidding did the fuss get out of hand. (laughs) Jesus Jesus Christ. Christ. It's like Russell T. Davis. It's like the man came around and ate their lunch <laughs> before you saw it. You know, it's like, oh my good god, will you calm down? I mean, but his his uh, view is exactly my view on it mm-hmm. that I've said before as well. I think they're fine for the front. I don't care about the colours. I quite like it. It's a nice design. Shame about the bit at the back. Um, but yeah, because of the the reactions, they're now largely background filler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's exactly. Like I think was it when we did the day of the doctor commentary when I, when we mentioned no it was the um, no it was just uh, the top five Matt Smith episodes when we mentioned yeah. like you get the sense that Moffat's trying to sort of like do away with him in a way that nobody will notice and it's it's kind of a shame because like you say it's a, not a bad design and I think when Asylum of the Daleks rocked around when they had like the more metallic paint jobs that actually mm. made him look a lot better but. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't think we'll be seeing much more than any, any more, unfortunately. No, I think that the reaction is uh, has killed him dead, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Number five, it's sexy. 
Doctor Who got into trouble with the Daily Mail when the paper decided it'd be good to pretend to be upset over how sexy Amy Pond was and how damaging this was for children. The problem seems to be that occasionally she wore sexy short skirts or sexy shorts, and there's no such thing, and it was bad for children to see her sexy legs. What if they went out and, in a delirious mindset brought about by premature exposure to sexy legs, did all the crime? Because of sexy legs, the Daily Mail was obviously not going to look out outside recently, or indeed since the 1960s. Yeah, uh, CR comments about Mary Whitehouse and mm. also Daily Mail fuck off. <laughs> what, what's wrong with Karen Gillan's legs? Nothing. You know, got legs like that, I'd have about 24-7. Yeah. I mean, obviously I can, I can like buy into the whole thing of, you know, kids these days are like trying to be like too mature beyond their years and all that. I can understand that, but yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's... Yeah, just piss off Daily Mail. It's it's fucking, it's clickbait. It's bullshit. It's mm-hmm. nothing. You know, it's, it's a story to fill time. You know, it's just rubbish. Yeah, and when we say fuck off Daily Mail, we just mean that in a general sense. We're yeah, absolutely. Just... just fire yourself into the sun and they're done with it, all of you. <laughs> Number four, it's sexist. This accusation could be made at almost any time in the show's history, but the female characters in the Moffat era have come under close scrutiny. His ability to write characters might not be at the level of Russell T. Davis's. It's like criticising a mountain for not being as tall as Mount Everest. But besides characterization, he's accused of writing unrealistic borderline sitcom characters defined by their gender's reproductive capabilities. There have also been complaints about the lack of female writers on the show, and it is in- that he increasingly resembles a boy's own adventure, even if this is in Definitely preferable to a boy's own adventure. Um, yeah, I think that it's a valid criticism that there aren't female writers on the show. Mm-hmm. And when there have been, I think their episodes got an undue paste in because it was written by a woman. Yeah, I mean, poor Helen Rayner. Yeah, absolutely poor Helen Rayner. Um, yeah, but that I think as well, a lot of that came from ridiculously minority vocal fanboys. Mm-hmm. And because everything wants to be zoned in on controversy, that got blown up and now the whole fandom's up in arms against them. You know, and that's not the case. Um, I think there's a whole episode of us talking about this, possibly. Mm. Um, Especially, you know, as I'm a female fan, you're a male fan, you know, and our perspectives are probably going to be different on this. Um, And as well, I don't think... It doesn't help that as well in this country, in this country, in Doctor Who's country of origin... It is a good 75% male fan base, perhaps mm. more. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately, these the, these voices are the ones that are amplified. And, yeah. you know, and I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of men, a lot of male fans out there who want more female characters, more female writers, you know, um, but they get drowned out by this idiotic minority, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yep. Sigh. So, number three, it's so complex. Stephen Moffat, had admit, having made a name for himself with episodes featuring multiple time zones as a major plot point, became showrunner and had a go at doing something with the established format of the show since it returned in 2005. Then, for his second series, he tried something different, using something more involved that altered the format of the series and required more concentration than usual. It got a mainly positive response, but there were those who complained that it had grown too complex to follow. As a result, the next series switched to more standalone episodes. Um, disagree. Yeah. <laughs> because, what? you know, everything in the Moffat era is linked to everything else in the Moffat era. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is this is a thing that annoys me. Mm-hmm. 
Because I've had fellow fans say this to me that, oh, it's too complicated. And I was like, well, you don't fucking pay attention. Yeah. You know, these are people I know who fall asleep during episodes because they're old. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's like you can't fall asleep in the middle of an episode and then complain you didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, like, look at Day of the Doctor. We said it during our Day of the Doctor commentary. He starts off with these sort of three, like, disparate sort of threads but then he manages to weave them all together i mean i do think he does when he plots it out he gets his little action figures like we know he does from the five-ish doctors reboot and he plots it all out as like a completely linear story and then he just like chops it up and then just sort of like does a little bit of like a a shuffle with it so it when you think about it it actually all does make sense it's just he has this sort of like roundabout way of telling it doesn't go from a to b to c it goes to a to B via F and then maybe sort of like a little stop for a cup of coffee around about L and then eventually sort of maybe he's has a total over to X and then back to C. Yeah. You know, it's it's not... it's not... You have to pay attention and no. I don't think that it's unreasonable for a TV show to demand that you pay attention to what's happening in the show. Mm-hmm. If you listen to the dialogue, if you watch it for 45 minutes, you will understand what's going on. I mm-hmm. guarantee you. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Right, okay. So, number two, Clara Who. Bearing in mind some of the criticism above, the decision to make New Companion Clara a plot device based over several time zones, a sexually confident in one and in one jaw-droppingly awful moment, sexually objectified young lady whose backstory made a mystery, well, it was an interesting decision, put it that way. As part of the hyper-real fantasy world Moffat's Who is based in, characters aren't grounded in the same realism as before. With Clara, though, there was not a lot else to her than said mystery, a character who never quite seemed real in her responses and questions, almost like she's been designed as the ideal companion. Perhaps she has, if only Lawrence Miles hadn't written that idea already. Um, yeah, I mean, because when I was I was writing reviews of the episodes that are coming out with Clara first appeared, yeah, it is like... You know, I don't think there is quite all that much to her, but I'm mm. not really prepared to damn her until we've seen her whole run. Yeah. Like, I want to see what she does with the Capaldi Doctor before mm. I say, well, yeah, she's a bit of a nothing character. Yeah. I mean, but, I mean, I, I do have to sort of like agree with the points raised. It was sort of Yeah, like, I, can't, I can't disagree with it. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, it's, it's like... Like, they came up with, like, the idea first and then, oh, like, built it into a companion. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like, it's not like a companion, here's a companion, she's just, like, kind of normal, she just tags on with the doctor and then, oh, she becomes this thing. It's, like, sort of, like, done in reverse, kind of, because yeah. when you first meet her in the Silent of the Dogs, she's one of, sort of, like, the quote-unquote temple clones of Clara. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, like, I mean, it's it was, it's an interesting idea, but I think... I mean, um, I can't remember. Did, I don't know if we like said it, but like when she like sends herself through the doctor's life to like yeah. try and help him, a lot of times she's just standing around shouting, "Doctor!" It's like, well, how's that helping? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you say I can't disagree with any of the points that's raised here. It's all valid criticism, mm-hmm. but I want to see more of her before I sort of say, "Well, needs a rethink." Yeah, I mean, hopefully, once you know we get to Capaldi's first series, they might actually sort of like, you know, give her something to work with. Because I, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to slam Jenna Coleman. Because, no. I mean, uh, what she does, she's just fine with what she's given, but I think she's capable of so much more. And yeah. I think just sort of, they need to like, 
find something... I don't know, it's like, yeah, they've done the impossible girl thing, now what? Yeah, so that's why I, that's why I want to see how she does with Capaldi's Doctor. Mm -hmm. And finally... <laughs> Number one, I hurt myself today. There are 11 Doctors officially. The Shalker Doctor, the Metacrisis Doctor, the Doctor David Banks played in the Ultimate Adventure when John Pertwee was ill. None of these count officially. Possibly because there was a section of the internet that hadn't been annoyed with them, Stephen Moffat decided to throw a spanner in the works. The restoration team will be replacing the spanner at a later date by revealing another Doctor in the shape of John Hurt. Some people genuinely tweeted they would never watch Doctor Who again. It's a hell of a place to stop at. Yeah, um, to those people I say, bye, don't let the door hit you on the way out. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, we're going to talk about continuity in another episode, but mm -hmm. I mean, and this is going to be a big part of it, but um, yeah, it was a hell of a decision to to do this, mm -hmm. um, but it's one that I think he got away with because oh, yeah. Day of Doctors Brill. Mm -hmm. Joe, I, I absolutely salute him for having the balls, because I mean, oh, that... God, yeah. that that's there's some cojones going on there mate absolutely but you know he, he made it work and it kind yeah. of you know it it makes sense that you'd have this doctor who did get involved in the time war but strictly speaking he didn't class himself as the doctor because the doc the, the doctor as he sees himself wouldn't do such things he wouldn't get involved in a war no. so you know it's it's like it just it it, it it fixes more problems than it causes, in mm -hmm. my opinion, but there you go. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, so if you're still with us... Um, <laughs> thank you. Well done, you. Yeah, thank you very much for listening to the, this. It's a really interesting list, and um, although I don't entirely agree with everything that's on there, I think mm -hmm. a couple of them are a bit tenuous, there's nothing that um, I can massively like disagree with, and... Um, just shows you what a rich history Doctor Who really has that you can mm. come up with. It. And there's probably more stuff that can go on a list like that. Yeah. Hey, well, if you'd like to share your thoughts with us about uh, the controversies of Doctor Who, or if you've even got some of your own you thought was uh, worthy of being included on the list, you can email us at greatestshow at simplysyndicated.com, or you can uh, follow us on Twitter at greatestshowpod and uh, Emma, you're on the Facebook page. I do indeed. You can head over to Facebook and go into the search bar and show and uh, search a greatest show on in the Galaxy podcast, and we all should pop up. Uh, come along and join us there and join the discussion. Mm -hmm. And also check out some of our fellow Simply Syndicated podcasts, including uh, Movies You Should See, uh, Do Ask, Do Tell, uh, Take It or Leave It, and uh, some of the Federation shows as well, like Starbase sixty six, Atomic Trivia War nine thousand, Nerd Hurdles. And uh, with that being said, thank you very much, Emma. Thank you, Mike. And we shall talk to you next time.